We are finishing up our Omega series. Come on, give it up. Hadn't it been good? And uh, uh, the word Omega in the Greek is the end. And uh, Jesus is called the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Everything that God wanted to say through Jesus Christ, the completion of all, the beginning and the end of it all, was said through Jesus Christ, his life on this earth. He is the beginning and the end. And so with that, we just kind of took the word Omega, uh, representing the end. And we've been studying the end times, the end of the wor world passages. We've been looking, we looked at uh, the book of Matthew, where Jesus has, in Matthew 24, has this extensive engagement with his disciples about what the end will look like. Then we went into the Thessalonians, where the apostle Paul was dealing with the church there in Thessalonica that was so concerned about, how, did, we, did we miss something? And then, and then the, the apostle Peter in the books First and Second Peter. And today we're going to wrap it up with the book of Revelation. Which is crazy that the book of Revelation fell on Halloween of all times. And so, uh, so uh, if you haven't been scared enough by watching all the creepy stuff on TV, uh, this might take you a whole other level of uh, weirdness. No, but the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John. There has been some thoughts that it may have been uh, some uh, prophetic uh, person named John, but most scholars agree that it was the Apostle John. And, um, and, and we find throughout this book, it's an apocalyptic writing. And so John has this encounter. He has been, he has been exiled to the island, island of Patmos. Uh, the, the Roman government has thrown him basically in jail, but in, a, uh, in these days they had these, um, kind of like Australia, they had these islands that they would just go dump these people on, uh, and some of them had, you know, had uh, uh, work groups, you know, chain gangs, and they, uh, they had rock quarries here on the Isle of Patmos, so it could have been that he was, um, he was in forced labor, uh, could have been that they were just kind of thrown on there and every man for themselves, kind of like a Mad Max movie, and hope you live through it, you know, with all these criminals. But he was placed there because of his faith in Jesus and his proclamation of Jesus being Lord. And so the Roman government, um, uh, you know, was, was um, you know, persecuting Christians at the time. And, uh, and they took him and put him on the Isle of Patmos. He actually, uh, they attempted to murder him multiple times, boiling in, in, in oil. It didn't work. Come on, somebody. Can you imagine? They put you in oil and burn you and, I mean, and to melt you and kill you. And it doesn't work. God protects you. Uh, is even uh, history records that he even tried to poison him. And so this gentleman uh, was very much used by God. And it says, he says that I was in the presence of the Lord. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was before the Lord and I had this encounter. I was, I was taken into this place where I saw and heard things almost uh, that, that, you know, that were almost indescribable. And the, and the Lord himself, he saw the Lord Jesus himself and, and, they, and, and he was told to write these things down. And so he began to write and it starts off, uh, there are these three kind of layouts of the book of Revelation. It starts really with these seven love letters from Jesus to these, uh, these churches uh, that were in Asia Minor. They were actual churches named for the cities, um, the churches of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, so there's a church in Ephesus, uh, Smyrna, and, and, and five others. And just kind of list them there. And it's these love letters. And then there's the second part of this 
whole book is all about, or this writing, is all about the coming difficulties, the, the tribulations, these horrible difficulties that are going to be coming that he saw for the future and for the present. Everything that he wrote uh, had this whole connotation of, uh, you know, past, present, and future. Uh, it's the way this whole um, supernatural engagement with God was all about. And then the third piece, if you will, if we were breaking down this book, the book of Revelation, the third piece really is about uh, the end of God bringing it all to finalization, his victories over, uh, over the, uh, the wickedness of the earth, his uh, final judgment, and his final blessings. So I thought if, you wouldn't, if you'd be okay for just a moment, I'd like to take you through kind of these three parts, give you a summary, and then extract um, three what I would call revelations in the book of Revelation. And by the way, it's revelation, not revelations. And I mess that up all the time. I'll say revelations with an S, and it, it's actually the book of Revelation with no S at the end. But I'm going to pull out towards the end of this message uh, three revelations that I want you to grasp from the book of Revelation. But as we jump in, let's look um, at these love letters. That's really kind of the starting point. And what I love about God's engagement, he says, he says tell them this. And he calls them out by name. And what he does is he lines this whole thing out with each one of these churches. He gives them a praise. He gives them a rebuke. Then he gives them a redemptive action. And then he gives them a promise. It's the most powerful thing I've ever seen in Scripture. It really marks me. Because what I love about our Jesus is that he loves us so much that he doesn't just spank us. Come on, somebody say Amen. He opens up each one of these communications to each one of these churches, men and women like you and me, just people who love him. And he gives them this, this, he starts every time with this whole thing about, listen, I am so proud of you. I praise you for this. But at the same time, there's some other things I want you to work on, rebuke. You really got to change this. And then he says, and here's how you can. Do this. It's real simple. He gives them a redemptive action. And then he says, and when you do that, I promise you, you're going to see this breakthrough. You're going to see this miracles. And I just want you to know, however you've engaged with your God, if it doesn't look like this, then it's a wrong engagement. If you think God's always mad at you, and you think there's never any solution to the difficulty you're dealing with, you don't really know how to engage with your God properly. And we see this in the book of Revelation. So it's the final book in the whole Bible, and it starts into this these first few chapters are all about these churches. Let me give you an example of the church in Ephesus. In, in, in Ephesus chapter 2, he, he says, all right, well, I'm just going to pull out one of the churches. He says, to the church in Ephesus, he says, I see your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance, that you can't tolerate wicked men. You just don't put up with it. You don't just say, ah, oh, no, don't call yourself a Christian and act like that. You don't put up with it. You're hardworking. You're always persevering. You don't give up on me just because Satan throws this at you or throws it. I'm so proud of you in that, that you've tested those who are supposed to be apostles, but they're not, and you found them to be false. I'm so proud of you that you've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And then he says to him, but I just got to tell you this. I got to tell you that you've forsaken your first love. Remember how when you first came to me, how much you loved me and how exciting your relationship was? But now you're starting to treat me like an old pair of shoes. And I just got to tell you, it breaks my heart. He says, but let me give you a redemption action. He says, here's, here's how easy it is. He says, just repent and, and, and do the things that you did at first. Just go back to that. Just, just go back to where it was simple and you didn't have to prove to everybody that you were something great. I, I'm so grateful for all your hard work. I'm so grateful for how you, how you, how you test things and you, and you don't let wickedness, wicked people you know, uh, you know, control the church. I'm so grateful that, for that. But what about that sweetness? 
when our first love. I love that he gives them uh, uh, and gives us, I mean, this is for us as well, that he gives us not just, not just the rebuke, but he praises us because he sees what we're, what we're uh, listen, can I just help you with something? You may not be perfect, but you're loving Jesus the best you can. Applaud yourself for just a moment. You're here. You're like, Lord, come on, help me, Lord. I just, I'm here to be with you. And he praises that and he applauds that. He doesn't take that lightly. But then at the same time, each and every one of us has some things that he wants to point out. Hey, you need to change that because that's going to destroy you. And he really is. He tells the church in Ephesus, listen, if you don't come back to your first love, then what's going to happen is our love is going to grow cold. It's like that couple that's been married, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, and now all of a sudden they don't even talk to each other. When they first got married, they stood down at that altar and they said, forever, yes, I love you forever. And now, 10, 15 years into it, they've got to picking each other apart. And now all of a sudden, they don't even like each other. He says, that's what's starting to happen with us. And with this church in Ephesus, he gives them a real simple, he says, just repent. Just turn around, just say, I don't want that. He just said, Lord, forgive me. I, I just repent. And go back and remember the things that we used to do. How you just sit with me. How you love to read the Bible. And it wasn't so that you could post something that everybody would go, ooh. That you just loved me and engaging with me. Go back to that. And then he gives them a promise for this group in Ephesus. He says, he says, and I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Listen, listen, as you get this right, let me tell you something that's going to happen. I've got some promises for you. I promise you it will change everything. You'll be eating from the tree of life, the paradise of your God. I'm telling you, you're going to have one of those kind of moments. And I love that God doesn't just, he doesn't just rebuke us, but he encourages us. And he loves us. You know, uh, years ago, um, I had this, um, you know, I, uh, Jamie and I have always had small group. We've always had a group of men and women that we were discipling and pouring into. We have two small groups now that we do that with. And, and, uh, but years ago, I had this group. And, and Jamie, many times, would take the ladies in one room, and I would take the guys. Or, you know, we'd meet at Starbucks or something like that. And I'll never forget this one particular night. Um, the Lord had spoke to me. said, I want you to do this particular thing with the men. I said, okay. So I had the men up in our upstairs little area that we had um, at the time at that house. And, and, I, and, I, and I just opened up and said, guys, I love you so much. And I, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to encourage you in something. And I went around the room and I said, uh, I said, you know, bro, what I love about you is that you're just, you're just always so authentic. And then I brought a truth to him. But you know what? You goof off so much that nobody believes you. You tell half truths, bro. And I, and I know that you don't mean to do that, but you do. But I want to encourage you, bro. Because none of us here are going to leave your side. We're with you, and I believe what has been a weakness is going to be a strength. And I go to the next guy. Dude, I love you so much. And, you know, you're one of the best husbands I've ever known. But at the same time, bro, you're lazy. I mean, you're just lazy. I mean, I love you, but you're lazy. And you don't follow through on things. And, uh, and so none of us trust you. If you say, if you say you're going to be somewhere and help us with something, we know you're probably not you're going to make an excuse at the last second. And you're probably going to be playing video games instead. I mean, you love your wife, you're a great dad, but this, and then, and then, and then, but I promise you, bro, we're here for you, and we're not going to let that destroy your life. And I went around the room with these 10 men. There was one man that didn't get to make it that night. And so afterwards, I prayed for him, and, and it was really impactful. Well, that night, about midnight, my phone is ringing. If your phone as a pastor is ringing at midnight, it's never good. It's never, hey, you've won the lottery. I mean, it's nothing, anything like that. It's always something pretty tragic. So I answer the phone with intrepidation. I answer the phone, and it's the one guy who didn't make it to the, to the small group meeting that night. And he goes, bro, bro, what happened? He said, man, the one small group I missed, 
and the fire of God came in the room. I'm like, I'm sorry? He goes, bro, I just got off the phone with so-and-so, and he said that you went around the room telling us what we suck at. Like, no, that's not really what happened, but not quite. No, no, I'm serious. So I'm calling you because I can't go to sleep until you tell me what do I suck at. Can I just say this? See, each and every one of us in our hearts, we don't want to have blind spots. None of us want to have people talking about, yeah, you know about her, though. You know about her. She's going to be this. We all want that. And I love that the engagement with Jesus is always, hey, I love you. I'm so proud of this, 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 and this. But I love you so much, I will point this out to you so you can change it. And I'll show you, this is all you got to do to change it. See, some of you grew up and all you heard was, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, it's bad, you're bad, you're bad. But no, no even advice on, how can I get better? That's not the God that you serve. The God that you serve, not only does he love you, not only is he proud of whatever effort you make to serve him and love him, but he also loves you so much that he's going to point out that thing that's going to kill you, that thing that's separating you, that thing that's going to ultimately cause you to have difficulty. So he'll point it out, but then he'll give you a plan, and he'll show you in Scripture on how to walk that thing out, and then he gives you a promise, and if, if you do it, guess what's going to happen? That's the God that we serve. And I love that the book of Revelation that's about the end of the world, that, that the apostle uh, uh, John says, sees the end of it all and the hardships and the difficulties, it opens up with Jesus saying, hey, my church, the people I love, let me help you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to know you deeply. And, and because of that relationship, here's how I can help you. And then literally we see that the church is receptive of that. And friend, can I tell you something? Don't be scared of God's rebuke. Don't be scared of him pointing out those things. Just the opposite. Embrace it because he knows he knows that if you will just make that little tweak, that everything you've dreamed of, everything you thought you could be in God would happen if you'll just let him instruct you. Are you with me today? Say yes. And then he brings us into the second phase in this entire book of Revelation. And it moves into the coming difficulties. And the Apostle John begins to see these, these, these horrible things that are going to come on the planet. He sees what, um, what's called the bowls of wrath being opened. He sees the seals being cracked open. He sees the trumpets being blasted forward. And in each one of these symbolic things, what it is is difficulty coming to humanity. And it is God literally backing up and saying, all right, devil, have your way. It's God literally going, and I'm going to pour in on this over here. And it's amazing. It starts literally... And, and this whole time of difficulty, uh, many call it the tribulation. The Bible refers to it as the tribulation. And he goes through these couple of seals. And let me just point out some of this because you may have heard some of this. And, and, and Revelation, starting in chapter 6, he starts talking about these seals that he saw cracked open. And, and he connected them to, to horses and, 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 and kind of like this imagery of, uh, of, you know, representing like difficulty. And the white horse literally was, as, as understood uh, in apocalyptic reading, uh, understanding, was deception that deception. Deception, this white horse, that deception was un unloosed on the earth. Have we not been seeing some of that? The Bible actually says in the last days they'll call good evil and evil good. There are times that I'm online and I'm seeing posts or I'm seeing YouTube clips or I'm seeing something in the news that somebody's saying. I'm like, that is a lie. Like, how are you believing that? Why? Because there's deception that's going to be released on the earth where people are so deceived and they, and they, they won't even understand that they're deceived. And, and, and literally he sees that poured out. Then in that second seal, he sees this red horse, which literally is terrorism, which is warring and terrorism. He sees it. And, the, and Jesus actually said in the last days, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. He said the end is still yet to come. He sees it. He sees. Uh, you think about our grandparents. Our grandparents didn't really know what terrorism was. They knew war, but they didn't really know terrorism. 
That, that you could be terrorized by a small faction of people never knowing if they're going to blow up the stadium that you're at watching the football game or something like that. Or some type of, uh, some type of chemical warfare or some type of biological warfare that they could just introduce some type of something that they created in a lab and introduce it and we all die of disease, some type of disease. And many have even wondered, is that what this is, you know, with the COVID and things like that? Is, is this part of this whole thing? And then he sees, also he sees a black horse, which he saw was a, a, an economic collapse. It's connected to an economic collapse where, where we, uh, um, you, know, we, you know, when we read history and we see what happened in the 20s and people without food and, uh, and losing their homes and things like that, he sees that happening in this end time period, in this great tribulation period, this great difficulty. And then he sees what is called the pale horse, and that is uh, where liter- uh, disease just takes over. I mean, just begins to kill people. And so some people then, so that's the seals, then there's, then there's the trumpets, and then there's the bowls of wrath. He sees these difficulties. Some believe that all three are the same, just these difficulties just from different angles. Some believe there are three different stages of difficulties that are going to come on the earth. Everybody has a little bit of a different take. And so that's why we don't really dive into that so much today or here at, at Hill City because you can have a different opinion on it. It doesn't really matter. The goal in every one of these writings, though, is to prep you and me. That's what the goal in every and to get our, our faces looking up, not looking down. To get us trusting Him, not trusting our government. Come on, somebody, not trusting, not trusting uh, our systems, not trusting our money, not trusting. Trust you, you alone, you alone will protect me. You alone will keep me safe in the palm of your hand. That's what every every one of these writings about the end times in the Bible. They're all about you and I trusting Him in the midst of it. When you go into the, like the chapter eight into that era of, of the book of Revelation, we find he's about the trumpets. And these, these difficulties are being poured out. In fact, it starts telling you some things that are really increase, increase that, that, that they'll become hell and fire will rain down out of the heavens. So it could be uh, like some type of meteorite storm or something like that. And one third of the earth is killed through this hell fire, this literally like probably a hell storm or some comic type thing that hits the earth and one third of the planet dies. Um, one third of the mankind then is even, um, uh, is even killed by demons. That demons are released and they just begin to kill people and murder people. And locusts are brought forth like from the bowels of the earth. Something cracks open and these, some type of, John called them locusts. Uh, it's hard to even know what he was seeing because they had stingers and they stung everyone and brought terror and hardship to everyone. Some type of bug or something coming out of the bowels of the earth. I mean, it sounds like a sci-fi movie. It really does. And that's exactly what he's seeing. And here he is, 2,000 years ago, think about his mentality, think about him living in ancient times, having these visions of the future and trying to articulate them. And so some have supposed, you know, that that's going to be some type of, uh, you know, warfare, th- uh, you know, uh, like these little drones that they can, uh, that they can get, put your DNA into it and have that drone come and kill you and blow you up. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about? So there's all these things that it could be, but here's the whole point in it, is the more that these things happen the less the world turned to God. It's unbelievable. As you read through the book of Revelation, all these things are happening, and you would think that in the middle of a huge pandemic that people would look up and say, life is frail. Where is the one true God? I give my life to you. But just the opposite. They begin to hate God. They begin to blame God for these things. And God is trying to get their attention that he loves them and he wants to help them, but they do just what they always have done, humanity, and that is turn their back on the living God through all of these pieces. And then in the bowls of wrath, God begins to pour out these bowls Literally, he saw, John saw the sea turning to blood. 
the whole sea being nothing but blood. He saw all kinds of things, the sun scorching people, and that the people of the earth, and, and verse uh, 9 of chapter 16 says, the people of the earth curse God and refuse to turn to him. As the Antichrist is on the scene, moving everyone against God. There is no God. And then what kind of God could there be that would allow these horrible things to happen? Trust me, I'm the leader of the known world. There'll be a one world government come together. It's kind of how John portrays it or how we understand what he saw. And we see that this Antichrist is, has this false prophet beside them. And the Antichrist even gets killed. And the false prophet raises them from the dead. It's this whole thing. And it all culminates in this whole battle to tell God where he can go. And, and, and we see that Jesus then, uh, in, the, in the last couple chapters, we see that Jesus comes back on a white horse. Come on, somebody. He comes back, and there's this great battle of Armageddon. It's not that great. It's all the armies of the earth think that they can fight against God, and Jesus nullifies it in just a matter of moments. Some people see that as, as, as figurative. Some see it as an actual battle. I believe it was an actual battle. I believe he comes down, and he just wipes the earth with them. All these enemies of God, all these people who hate God. And then, and then after the end of that, as he's doing that, he then um, takes the Antichrist and the false prophet and he throws them into the lake of fire. And then he locks the dragon, Satan himself, into the abyss. And for the next thousand years, he reigns. And at the end of the thousand years, there's some little conflict things that happen. And then the great judgment. Come on, you with me? Say yes. And that's what this book lays all out, the great, the great judgment. And at the great judgment, we see God doing just what he said he would do. And this is what you need to understand about the great judgment that is to come. God is not sending people to hell. God gives them what they want. That's what he does. He said, you didn't want me, so I'm going to give you what you wanted. But I'm going to take those who wanted me, and I'm preparing a new place for them. I'm going to extract them away from you because you didn't want me, and I'm going to give you what you wanted. I'm going to give you selfishness. I'm going to give you perversion. I'm going to give you every demon that, that, that beats and murders and kills and tries to get ahead of all the other people and hurts other people. I'm going to give you that rulership for all of eternity. And for all of eternity, you're going to get what you wanted on this earth. Not me, but the world and the world system. It's all going to go with you and you and, uh, and the demons and Satan himself can have your place. I'm going to lock you into a place where you, can you can't get to my people. You can't get to anyone who loved me. You're going to be locked in a place called hell for all of eternity and have what you wanted. And it, friend, can I tell you, in that moment, they will realize, whoa, I didn't really want this, but I did want it because I didn't want you. This is what this whole thing is about. This is not about good or bad. This is do you want God in your life? Will you let him rule your life and guide you and direct you? Will you let the creator who loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life? Did you want, do you want Jesus' rulership in your life? Or do you want to be ruled by this old wicked world system and all the demonic forces of trouble and pain and suffering and perversion and rape and hate and selfish ambition do you want that? Because that's the choice that literally God is saying to everyone, I'm going to show you pain. I'm going to pour out the pain so much that surely you'll wake up and go, I don't want this. But they don't. They don't do it. Instead, they blame him because they don't want to serve the living God. They don't want him in their life. And the God that we serve gave us free will to choose. It's crazy. He gave us a free will. We can choose him or not choose him. And he will give them their choice for eternity. And friend, that's what hell is going to be about.
It's going to be about the powers of darkness ruling every person who didn't want God because they wanted them instead. You understand, selfish ambition does not come from God. Perversion does not come from God. That's not his nature. Hatred does not come from God. Jealousy does not come from God. That's not his nature. It's not who he is. That's the forces, demonic forces of evil that's now become infiltrated into our world system and into who we are because we're born into sin. But we have a hope when we cry out to the living God and we say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I don't want to live like that. That's not me. I want you. And so it closes out. The whole book closes out with the victory of God locking up Satan and all those who want to serve him, even if they didn't understand that's what they were doing, and taking everyone who was his and preparing a new place for him. So I want to give you three revelations from the book of Revelation. Can you write these down with me? Three things that we can extract and kind of go about our life putting into play. The first thing I want you to understand, first and foremost, from the book of Revelation, is that Jesus is pursuing you. He's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. At the end of all of that correction of the, of the seven churches, at the end of all of that trying to show the seven churches how much he loves them, but yet bringing correction, he says this in the book of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. He says, now, churches, here I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So you, I get this picture. John's seeing the end of the world. He's seeing all the end of these things. He's seeing the church that's alive right now in Asia Minor, these seven main churches in, throughout Asia Minor. Jesus is giving him instructions to give these seven churches. And then Jesus says, and tell them, I am standing at the door knocking. If they'll just open up, I will come in and dine with them. Do you understand? Jesus is always pursuing you. Maybe you had never had anyone that actually loved you. Maybe you never had anyone that actually chased after you. Uh, maybe you were, you, you don't have that experience. You know, you weren't the good looking dude at school, in high school. You weren't the, you know, the sexy mama of a woman, you know, in college, whatever. Nobody paid attention to you. I want you to know Jesus pursues you every day. He wants to, he sees you as the most valuable commodity on the planet. He wants a relationship with you. But there's a door between you and him, and that's your will. And he says, if you will open up, I will come and dine with you. And I want you to understand these words, because we don't really use this verbiage very much in our daily, in our daily work. Dude, I like you. If you would open up your will, I would love to come dine with you. We'd be like, dude, that's creepy. Like, what? But I want you to think about this question. If you could spend time with anybody, who would it be? If you could just like, dude, I would just love to have coffee with so-and-so. Because you place such a high value on their existence. Jesus places such a high value on your existence that he says to us in the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, the final thing to be said, I am knocking and knocking because I put such a value on you. That I would like to come and be with you, and I want to dine with you. Everybody say dine. 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 Now, in a couple of weeks, you're going to have to dine with people you don't necessarily want to. Hey. We call it Thanksgiving. <laughs> but at the same time, you have memories of Thanksgiving with your grandmother who you love so much. Or your papawas, 
one of you called him the other day. Or that great aunt, who's always the aunt that always encouraged you. Or that cousin, who God bless him, so stupid, in and out of jail. He's just a good dude. You can't wait to see him. And Jesus wants you to understand that when he uses the term dining, because in ancient days, in his Israel concept, in the Israeli concept, to dine with someone, <clears throat> it was more than what we do. We might grab a quick coffee with somebody. We might share a cheeseburger with somebody. But when they dine together, it was this elaborate process. Multiple stages in this dining experience. It was, it was being intimate with a friend. When they dined together, they wouldn't dine with someone that was an enemy. When Jesus says to you and me that he wants to dine with us, it's because not only is he pursuing us, but he doesn't see us as enemies. He sees us as somebody that he wants to know deeply and intimately. So I would challenge you from the book of Revelation, open up on a daily basis your heart and dine with Jesus. Say, Lord, how can we sit together for the next few minutes? Maybe you have a safe place in your backyard on that little swing that you bought from Lowe's a few years ago that's about to fall apart. Maybe you have this place. Uh, one, of our, one of my spiritual sons, he goes out to White Rock Lake, and he just sits there. He's almost gotten murdered a couple times because he's done it in the middle of the night. I'm like, what are you doing? But he has this place where he just goes and he sits with the Lord. And the Lord reveals his love to him, and he shows him things, and they talk. Do you have anything like that? Because he's constantly pursuing you. He wants you to know that he wants to dine with you. I just want to know you, and I want you to know me. And I'm pursuing you because I want you. Not the good you or the bad you, all of you. See, we think that God only wants the good us, and that he refuses the bad us. But friend, can I tell you, he knows all of you, and he wants all of it. He loves you. Here's the second big revelation from the book of Revelation that I'd like you to get, and that is our love will win nations. This is huge. You're saying amen right now, but you weren't saying it a year and a half ago. You just want me to pastor for a second. What we see throughout these tribulation moments, these, these you know, almost you know, 15 chapters, 14 or so chapters of this tribulation and this hardship. God is pouring out hardship. Satan and demons are whooping the earth and beating and hardship and one after another, difficult, difficulty, difficulty. And God is saying, look what you'll get for eternity. But I'm here. And every time they stub their nose up at him and said, we don't want you. All throughout, all throughout the book of Revelation, humanity said, I don't want you. We don't want you. We don't want you. And so they picked an antichrist to guide them and to lead them. But you need to understand, as they did that, they then persecuted the believers all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. The true, the true Christians were persecuted. They were put to death. They were martyred. We see them martyring the two, the two witnesses. Uh, we see multiple times in this whole book of Revelation. And here's what I want you to understand. God's warning judgment to the nations through the seals and the trumpets. and the, it, it does not bring the world to repentance. But the Lamb of God conquered his enemies by loving them and dying for them. 
You and I are asked to be like Jesus when it comes to the hurt and broken of this world. And you and I have to be more mature to see past how they're treating us, to see that there's a destiny for them that will be full of death and destruction forever. And we have to be mature enough to say, I love you so much that I'm willing to sacrifice myself right now. I don't have to be right. I just want you to know the righteous one. I don't have to have you even applaud me or thank me. I will show you so much love, though you stab me in the back, though you hate me. I will pour out my love on you because that's what Jesus did for me and that's what he's done for this old broken world. Jesus wants to, he wants each and every one of us to understand that the nations will turn as they see the church imitating the love sacrifice of the lamb. As he, the enemies of God will turn, not because we prove them wrong, but because we show them his love. For it was his kindness that led you and me to repentance. And what I've seen over the last few months, let's call them, is you and I wanting to, wanting to defend our position. We want to defend it. But that doesn't turn people out of their wickedness. We should stand for righteousness, but we should also love like Jesus loved. For that and that alone turned humanity back to Christ. It will not be us proving that they're wrong. It won't be us proving our point. It'll be you and I saying, you know what? I disagree with you, but I love you so much. And I will do this to show you the love of Christ. I will be this in this moment. to I will surrender my rights so that I can love you and show you that great love. And friend, with that will come much martyrdom. It will happen. If you're post-trib, it will happen. If you're pre-trib, it's all going to, you know, you're all going to be taken away and don't ever worry about it anyway. And like I've taught you as your pastor, I believe somewhere in the middle of all that, I have to prep you as though we're all going to be martyred for Christ if we, in this old wicked world system. But I also am believing for the great taking away before any of this pours out to this level. So I'm, I'm, I'm in that place of thinking. Our love will win the nations. Not your hatred, not your anger, not your frustration. Please learn to curve that and to love that old goofball of a cousin that you got that posts that stuff and you're like, I want to punch him in the face. That dude's an idiot. And learn to say, you know what? I disagree with you, but I love you and I appreciate you. I appreciate that you even care. Thank you. It's that kind of love that Jesus poured out on us and it's the reason why we're believers. Let me give you the third piece. We've got to wrap this thing up today. And that is, we will have a new heaven and a new earth. These are, the, these, are, these are the revelations that I want you to get from the book of Revelation. I want you to understand these, that he is knocking. He wants to dine with you. He want, he's pursuing you. I want you to understand that, that you and I's role in, in the coming difficulties is to love. It's to love like Jesus did, and that will change them. Being right will not change them. It will just cause them to we see We see, again, 14, 15 chapters of God saying, look, 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 pain, suffering. We don't care. We want this instead of you. You're not going to out-discipline them into goodness. It's the love of God. And then the last big revelation I want you to get from the book of Revelation, found in Revelation chapter 21, is that we have a new heaven and a new earth waiting for us. It's coming for us. Let me just read it to you. He says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So John turns and he sees this. And for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This whole world's going to pass away. Your favorite, your favorite spot on the planet, you know, your favorite beach spot, it will, be, it will be destroyed and pass away. It will be no more. And there was no longer any sea. Verse 2, and then I saw the holy city, 
the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of our God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away and he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Yes, yes. Oh, listen, I know you suffer at times, and I know you go through hardship, but friend, he is making everything new. There will be a heaven and an earth that will be new for us, and can I tell you, that new heaven and that new earth, every bit of hate will not be able to exist in there. There'll be no jealousy in the new heaven. That's the old order that's passed away. God's not just getting, he's not getting rid of people. He's getting rid of all that wicked, demonic stuff that you don't even realize has been affecting you since you were a child. All of that will be gone, and in the new heaven and the new earth, there'll be no tears, there'll be no suffering, there'll be no orphanry, there'll, there'll be, no, be no cursing, there'll be no stabbing, there'll be no wounding. We will live under his goodness and under his banner of love and every day we will wake up and we will have beautiful engagements with each other and our God, I'm telling you, we will be catching the biggest bass that they ever had in the ocean. We will be dunking on each other and say, that was a good dunk. I'm so proud of you. So good. I'm not jealous of you. Wow. We will live our lives under his rulership it will be new and fresh and wonderful and every day will be greater and greater than the day before this is the God that we serve this is the revelation of what all of this is coming to this is what the book of Revelation closes out with so that you and I could understand this truth that he loves us and he's preparing a place for us and that we may suffer and that we may have hardships on this earth if we'll just hold on for a little while if we'll just hold on to his love and his goodness all those who want him as their ruler, all those. And can I help you with that? So that means, listen, I know as a believer, we struggle with temptation. We don't do everything right. We're embarrassed of that. But if we call him our Lord, if we want him, he wants us. If we care about him, he cares for us. He opens that door only because we turn the knob and say, come in and be my Lord and Savior. And as you and I live in that place, and Lord, I know I'm not perfect, and I know I make mistakes, and I know, Lord God, there's so much in me that's not like you yet. And he says, I love you, baby boy. I love you, baby girl. It's okay because I'm making a new place for you and you'll never be tempted again with lust or hatred or anger. I'm making a new place. Now all that stuff will be somewhere else, but it won't be with us and we're going to live in joy and excitement and we're going to live in the beauty of what was paradise originally times a billion. That's the place he's making for you and me. Are you, are you with me today? Say yes. And this summarizes all the thing I need you to know. Don't get caught up and could it be that? Could it be that you're, watching, you're flipping through TikTok and somebody's standing there and saying, you see these little drones? They're the little demons in, in Revelation chapter 16, and you need to be careful. Don't you buy one? Listen, don't worry about all that. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We've taught you for four weeks on how not to get deceived. We've taught you for four weeks what the books of Revelation, Matthew, Thessalonians, and Peter are actually trying to say to the church. And that is not trying to figure out who might be the Antichrist, when it might all happen. I don't really know pre-trib, post-trib, post-millennialism. I don't, I don't really know about all that. What I do know is I'm going to be about the business that he told me to be about. And in that, he will protect me, watch over me, and he will welcome me as his own. Are you here today? Say yes. Stand with me. Hey, everybody. Wasn't that a great message? 
I know that as we speak, your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it, consider it, pray and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. And maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we want to know. We want to know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469-606-2684. We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place. Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.